theyeshiva.net. Okay, this is a put amendment. This year is a leap year, which means there are two others. So you're going to be learning this Maimed at the end of Shvat and the beginning of the first Adir. And Amit Hashem, with the help and the grace and the kindness of God, we will find other Maimodim on Purim or on Shkolim. There's no shortage of material, of Tater, of the Rebbe, for us to be able to learn and to teach and to bring forward. But I'm itching to do this Maimed. I want to do it right away. So even though it's a while before Purim, it's an early taste of the Purim to come Amit Hashem. The date of this Maimon, as you can see, is Purim Tafshin Yudalaf. This is the first Purim of the Rebbe's Nesias. In other words, a week, a month, pardon me, in five days or four days after the Rebbe became officially the Rebbe the Nasi of Chabad on Yudshvat Tafshin Yudalaf. Do we all know the story that uh, the Rebbe's Histalkos, the previous Rebbe's Histalkos, marks the beginning of the Nesias of the Rebbe? But for the first year, it was, as they say, unofficial. Although he was doing all the things that the Rebbe does in terms of giving eitzes and brachas and even performing wafsim, and certainly in terms of continuing the work of the previous Rebbe, but the official Kabbalah Sanasiyas was on Yud Shvat the following year, Tafshin Yud Alaf 1951. The Rebbe said the first Maimed Basilagani, and it was very obvious and very clear this was official. I once heard in the name of Rabbi Groner Zogazunzain that Thursday morning, Thursday morning, in other words, if a bringing of Yitzchak was Wednesday night, Thursday morning, the devil came into seven seven said, "No, Madaf Machan and I am blank. We have to make a new stationery because until that point, the Rebbe had been using the stationery that he inherited from before. He had three organizations under his responsibility, under his leadership: Hamerkaz and Yonechinoch, and Machan Yisrael, and Yitzchak Svarim Kahas. Each one of these organizations had their own stationery and their own emblems, and the Rebbe used to write letters on the various different stationeries based on what. He, he was lighting a letter too. If it was a letter about Sfarim, he used Kahas. If it was a letter about outreach, he used Malach, Merkaz, and Yanechinuch. And if it was a letter about inreach, he would use the stationery, the Machane Yisrael. But now that the Rebbe officially became a Rebbe, so Thursday morning, the Rebbe said, Numedaf Machanayim Blank, to make a new uh, stationery. So the secretaries, who were the secretaries then? You had Rabbi Rachtein, all of Shalom. Of course, you had Rabbi Chadakov, you had Nissen Mendel. Um, those were the three secretaries, as I can remember. Then, of course, there was Label Groner, who was a young bachet, and there was Shalom Mendel Simpson, who was a young bachet, who the Rebbe took on board to do various different tasks. And there was also Haraf Kvint. He was a Yid, uh, he was not a Lubavitcher, did not have a beard, but apparently was a big Talmud Chacham. He also worked for the Rebbe in the secretariat. He was also the Rebbe's secretary. And... Um, when the Rebbe said they have to make a new stationery, so they asked the Rebbe, okay, what does the Rebbe want on the stationery? So they told the Rebbe, the Rebbe said to them, you prepare it, and I'll look at it. So what do you think they did, the Chachamim? Simple, they took the previous Rebbe stationery and changed the name. You know, it says Grand Rabbi of Lubavitch, and so forth and so on. And they just changed the name to the Rebbe's name, and they brought the Rebbe the stationery of the uh, previous Rebbe with his name on it. And he absolutely mutilated it. First of all, he didn't want Grand Rabbi. And second of all, he didn't want to say of Lubavitch because he was never in Lubavitch. By the time the Rebbe was done finishing with the stationery, the stationery said his name. And then it said, not of Lubavitch, but the word Lubavitch. And it said business address, business phone or business address. And then there was the address in the phone of 770. This part of the Lab very much did that the Rebbe was identifying himself as running an organization that has a business office. And a few years later, the Rebbe allowed them to change that. We would just say 770 Eastern Parkway and so forth. But uh, this is just a little story about the Rebbe's Kabbalah Sanasiyas. There are more details that I don't recall, but that's the essence, that's the spirit of the story. So Purim was four weeks later, five weeks later. It was a Fabrengen. And you could imagine how intimate the crowd was. Yutzvat, there had been a few hundred people at the Fabrengen. The first Purim, there were maybe a few dozen people at the Fabrengen. And there was a real chesidish of Abrengen. They were sitting with the Rebbe, which is Kedish HaKadoshim. And they said, a maimen, the Rebbe spoke Sichis. But the atmosphere was incredibly warm, incredibly intimate, incredibly close, incredibly personal. And there are some famous uh, episodes that occur during that Fabrengen. One of them, of course, is that towards the end of the Fabrengen, the Rebbe began to, in effect, 
belittle himself and his role as a Rebbe. He turned to the elder Chassidim, to the elder Chassidim, and he said to them, I, I admire your strength of character. He said that the Gemara says that when they built the second Beis Hamikdash, the second temple, so the Ne'odim, the young people danced, and the Zikain and the old people cried, because they had seen the Pe'er, the Teferis, the beauty of the Bayes Rishin, of the first Beis Hamikdash, and the Bayes Sheni was built, Chosr Hamisha Devarim, it was missing five artifacts which represented godliness and holiness and the Shekhinah and miracles and so on. So they cried. So the Rebbe said, It's a greatness on your part that you're seeing a son-in-law of a Rebbe, as he referred to himself, ascend to the throne of the, the Seas of Lubavitch, and you're not crying. So Rebbe Simpson told the Rebbe, Chassidim can and does not hear, Chassidim can hear such words. Rabbi Mentlik, there's some controversy about the detail, but I think this is one of the way the stories are told. Rabbi Mentlik said to the Rebbe, excitedly, it's absolutely not this way. It's one shal shelis, it's one chain from the Alter Rebbe. And he went over to the Rebbe and said to the Rebbe, he wants to take mashke from the Alter Rebbe. So in one version of the story that I read or heard, the Rebbe gave him, smiled and gave him. Another version, the Rebbe said, whether it's taking mashke from the Alter Rebbe or not, depends if it's a shal shelis of oyer or shal of moed, whether all the Rebbeim are one or they're one after the next. Um, there's another episode that also occurred in that sequence where the Rebbe offered somebody mashke at the Fabrengen. So he sent his cup <laughs> and Rabbi Mentlik got very upset <coughs> and said to him, if the Alter Rebbe offered you mashke, would you send it through an intermediate? And the Rebbe commented, Rabbi Mentlik was a very, very precise Jew, an unbelievably uh, humble and with good character. And the Rebbe said that Motel is displaying such his pashtus and it must really be put him. That's the kind of a Fabrengen it was. But the Fabrengen began with the Maimir. It started, it opened with the Maimir. Now, there's actually a Sikha from the Rebbe, from Yud Bistamos, Tovshin, Yud Gimel, I believe, in which the Rebbe says officially why he begins the Fabrengen with a Maimir. Because he wants people to be able to concentrate the hardest at the outset, and then they'll be able to relax and listen to easier in Yonim. For the first few years, the Rebbe's point, the Rebbe always started the Fabrengen, if not mamish at the very outset, but close to the very, very beginning, the Rebbe would start the Fabrengen with a Maimir. This custom didn't last forever, it lasted only a few years, by, probably by Tovshin Tezvav or Tezai in 1955 or 56. Uh, the Rebbe moved the Maimorim to the middle of the Fabrengen and even towards the end of the Fabrengen. But the first few years, the, Maimir, the Fabrengen was the beginning of the Maimir. began with the Maimir. In addition, as I mentioned to you when I did the Maimir, um, that for the first year from Tovshin Yud Aleph Yud Shvat until Tovshin Yud Beis Yud Shvat there was no Maimen Nigen the tradition of, of course in Chabad is that when the Rebbe says a Maimen everybody stands and in preparation for this there's a special Nigen that by course by us it was the Rastava Nigen one of the Nagurim that the Rebbe Rashab favored that the Chassidim the Rebbe would indicate and the Chassidim would start to sing the Nigen and during the course of the Nigan, all the Hasidim would rise. And then, of course, after the Nigan was the Maimir. By the earlier Rabbeim, including the previous Rebbe, the Minig was that the Rebbe would say the Maimir looking at one particular Hasid. He would actually look at him and speak to one individual Hasid. And we know, for example, in Lubavitch by the Rebbe Rashab, that sometimes he and the previous Rebbe would lock their eyes together in such a dveikos that the Rebbe would speak with his father. The Rebbe, previous Rebbe would actually say the word with his father, which is very distracting to others. Our Rebbe didn't do that. The Rebbe said, I with his eyes closed. From the first day, he never looked at anybody. He always said, I mind with his eyes closed. And of course, he lowered his head, so on Shabbos and Yom Tif, there was no microphone, it was a little bit more difficult to hear him. So beginning with Yud Shvat Tovshin Yud Beis, 1952, the second Yud Shvat after the Estalkos, the Rebbe came to the Fabrengen, sat down, turned, I'm assuming, to Reb Shmuel Zalmanov, and said to sing a nigan, he sang a nigan, they said the Maimir. But the first year, from Tafshin Yudal of Yudshvat, until Tafshin Yudbeis Yudshvat, the Rebbe didn't do that. Rather, the Rebbe would come in, and start to speak a sikhe, and in the middle of the sikhe, he would talk his way into the Maimir. Like, for example, Bossi Lagani, so you may have heard the tapes, the Rebbe begins with the words, in the Maimir, just six words or seven words. And the Maimur, which the previous Rebbe, gave out for his passing. He begins, Basilagani, and then the Rebbe pauses, and then he starts, Basilagani, and so on. This was regular, this was normal. 
for that year. This Maimed, Akibul Ayyudim, also has a prefix. And the prefix to this Maimed is extraordinary. It's really something very, very special. And I'm hoping to work it out that you'll be able to have a link to the audio file of this introduction to the Maimed attached to the Maimed because I really want to be able to hear it because it's so poignant, it's so real. The Rebbe started the Fabrengam by bringing the Zayar. And the Zayar says that in Tanakh, the word Uvachain appears uh, four times. But the custom by Jewish people is that on Hashanah Yom Kippur, when we have the elongated third bracha, we say Uvachain only three times. Because the fourth Uvachain may not be such a good idea. And if you've ever seen other than Eschais, other than Chabad, you'll see in many communities they have only three Uvachains. But then the Zayar continued. Other people have a custom to say four Uvachains, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And that fourth Ubachain corresponds to Ubachain of Yalamelech Hashalech Hados, which is in the Megillah Sestet. That Esther says to Mordechai, he should fast and she will approach the king against the law and maybe he'll kill her, maybe he'll spare her, but she'll take that risk. And the Pasuk says, Ubachain of Yalamelech Hashalech Hados, I'll approach the king unlawfully. So the reason people don't say the fourth Ubachain, because this is not considered favorable, and the reason others do say the fourth of a because there's something favorable about that statement of approaching the Melech Hashem Lechados. So they made this prefix, this introduction, and then he continued. What is the lesson? The lesson is that a Jew has to approach God. But when you approach God, you have to be worthy. And what if you're not worthy, and you're not ready, and you're not prepared, and you're not qualified? What are you going to do? You can't approach the Melech, but you have no choice. You must approach the Melech. So you say, You come to the King, to God Almighty, although you're undeserving and unworthy and unqualified and so forth. In other words, there's an act of tshuva. And the koyach of approaching the King, even though with Hashalech Hados, is that it opens up a possibility of a relationship and so forth. This is the spirit of what the Rebbe said. It must have taken the Rebbe 10 minutes or so to say this. And then the Rebbe says, Uvachain, and therefore, or in this spirit, I, I will come to the king, which is unlawful. And then the Rebbe says in, in the tone, and the Rebbe begins the maimed. He breaks down, he starts to cry, so he catches himself and starts a second time. That's how the maimed begins. And it's incredibly dramatic. It's very dramatic. It's not an act, it's real, it's genuine, but it's very dramatic at the same time. <coughs> because what the Rebbe is saying is that the very recitation of this Maimir constitutes Now, what I want to share with you is this. If you know, and I, I've mentioned this to you recently, I sort of advertised this Maimir. If you know anything about the history of Maimori Hasidis and Chabad, not Sikhs, but Maimorim, you know that there is a continuity. All the Maimorim can be traced back to the previous generations. The vast majority of the Maimorim of the Rebbe, especially those set in the first decade, or decade and a half, can be traced Maimorim from the Rebbeim before, particularly the Rebbe Rashab. And quite frequently, one Maimor of the Rebbe will reflect one Maimor of the Rebbe Rashab, or sometimes one Maimor of the Rebbe will reflect two Maimorim of the Rebbe Rashab, where the body of the Maimor will be from one place, and the beginning and the end will be from someplace else. But we know where the Mabarim come from, we see the Mabarim's evolution, and we understand how the Rebbe is essentially, to use the old Chabad expression, chazering, repeating the Mabarim the previous Rebbeim. But when a Rebbe says a Maimed, we don't say chazering, we say zogn, he is saying a Maimed. Because every time a Rebbe says a Maimed, even if it's a verbatim repetition of an existing Maimed, it's a new ayir, it's a new godliness. But in the Rebbe's case, the Rebbe didn't only review the Mabarim from the previous Rebbeim. And suffice with the new oil, the Rebbe had this incredible ability to be concise, to consolidate their thoughts and words in such a way that he would deliver the Maimed with unbelievable crystal clarity because of the, the brevity. There's no longer he would reduce the elaborate discussions to a few lines and make them absolutely crystal clear. But this Nemanov used to say that the Rebbe is saying the same Maimodim in the previous generations, but he's saying them for our generation. And like I said, the vast majority of the Maimodim, you can see where they come from. But there are Maimodim of the Rebbe which are original. You look at the Maimodim, you say, where does this come from? And one of those is the Kibbal HaYehud. 
it's probably the first. And I suspect that when the Rebbe said, and began to speak, at least in part, that's what he was referring to, that he's about to say a maimer, which is essentially his own. This maimer is almost like a sicha, to be honest. It's based on the maimer of the previous Rebbe, which the previous Rebbe had said in Tafresh, Pei Zayin, some 24 years earlier, a few months before his arrest, in 1927 in the Soviet Union. And officially, this is a maimer based on that maimer, but actually... Very little of this maimer reflects the maimer of the previous Rebbe. It begins with the same introduction. Some of the questions are the same, but the maimer goes in a very, very different direction. So the previous Rebbe's maimer being the source for this maimer is very, very superficial, or at least somewhat superficial. A little bit deeper, this is very original, very different. It's mamish the Rebbe's. And I think that that's part of the reason why the Rebbe said, Asher Lechados, because it was very bold of the Rebbe, a weekend to his Nasiyas to say a maimer like this. A bold in, I don't know how to say this. It's not bold. The Rebbe knows what he's doing, but it can be perceived as bold. This is my introduction. Now, what is this maimer about? It's actually not a Purim maimer. It's said on Purim, but the maimer is not about Purim. The maimer is really about the Torah. And the entire development of the Maimed is going in the direction of explaining the relationship between Purim and Torah, where the emphasis is not so much on Purim as much as the emphasis is on the concept of Torah. And we're going to learn this Maimed in two classes at least. There is a distinct possibility that we're going to have um, a third class. I have to still work that out in my own mind, in my preparation and so on. But this is certainly not going to happen in one sitting. This is 12 pages. It's a long Maimed. And I'm going to try and present to you the Maimed in the way that I feel is the most clear by not going in the order of the Maimed, but rather, so to speak, getting at the heart, at the essence, at the Neshama, at the Pneumius, at the Pintel of the Maimed, saying the point first and then building the layers uh, successively around it. As I said to you before, this is a Maimed about Torah. Torah we received at Harsina. God Almighty came down on a mountain and he gave us the Torah. But of course, the Gemara already said this, and Hasidus exploits this extraordinarily, that even when we got the Torah, we didn't have it totally. For example, we were coerced, we were forced to accept the Torah because Hashem threatened our lives, or as Hasidus would say, there was a great divine revelation. And as the Gemara says, any Jew at any time can say, I want out, I was coerced, I accepted the Torah because my life was at risk. Because I saw such great revelations of godliness and so forth. Says the Gemara until Purim. When the Purim story occurs, there is a subsequent, there is a second commitment to the Torah. And of course, in the times of Purim, it was in the times of terrible duress, times of Mesiris Nefesh. And once the Jewish people recommitted themselves collectively as a nation, during the Purim story, to do the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, nobody has a midon, nobody can say, I want out, you were given every opportunity to run away, and you chose not to. So for the first thousand years of Jewish history, approximately, um, a Jew could have said, I have a midon, a rabbi was forced by threats, or by divine revelation. And after the Purim story, that midon, a rabbi is lifted, because by the Purim story, the Gemara says, Hadir kiblu the Jewish people recommitted themselves to Tere Mitfus a second time at Harsina. Now let's go back to the beginning. When we got the Tere the first time, we said Nasa Venishma. Nasa Venishma is considered an act of great sacrifice and dedication and altruism. Nevertheless, it's considered only a beginning. By Purim, for lack of words, there was a second Nasa Venishma. And the second Nasa Venishma finalizes, it culminates, it affirms the initial commitment and dedication and acceptance of the Teda, the initial Nasa Venishma that the Jewish people had done uh, almost a thousand years earlier when they uh, got the Teda from Hashem and Harsina. One of the questions of this Maimed is that even if we accept this, that we initially said Nasa Venishma in the year 2448 and got the Teda in a limited way, and some thousand years later we got the Teda again on a deeper level, and therefore our commitment and our dedication and our obligation 
is greater than it was before. But one of the questions the Maimon asked is why is it necessary that this reaffirmation that happened when the Jewish people got the Tarif Makadosh Baruch Hu should happen through Mesiris Nefesh? And what would happen if it wouldn't happen through Mesiris Nefesh? Moreover, the Rebbe makes the case, the Rebbe argues that really by Har Sinai there was also already a concept of Mesiris Nefesh. And certainly when the Jewish people went into Etisrael there was also some kind of a concept of Mesiris Nefesh. I'm skipping these details for tonight, I'm just giving you the point. Why is it that the reaffirmation, the final commitment and acceptance of Torah, doesn't happen until almost a thousand years after we're given it initially? And it must have to do with Mesiris Nefesh, and specifically the Mesiris Nefesh of Purim. So we're going to read the answer to this question. We're starting in Sif Yud, which is page Ayin Hay, near the end of the Maimon. The question again is, why is it necessary that when the Ebishter gave us the Torah, the Torah is considered not completely ours, not totally committed to, until almost a thousand years later, when we accepted the Torah time, but put him when there was a moment of Mesiris Nefesh. Why Mesiris Nefesh, and why the Mesiris Nefesh of Purim? So the Rebbe begins Sif Yud, and I'm reading it inside. The answer is, the reason why it wasn't enough for the Jewish people to accept the Torah a second time. But it was necessary for them to accept the Torah on the conditions of Mesiris Nefesh. Shegmar, Kabol, the end of the acceptance of the Torah. Totally, but Mesiris Nefesh requires Mesiris Nefesh. And the reason is, as you'll see in Hashem in the next class, <coughs> the Jewish people had the Torah before the Torah was given. What happened at Har Sinai, when God came down on a mountain, was as it's called classically in Hasidus, and particularly in the Torah of the Rebbe, there was something called Bittal Gzeda, the, the violation, the shattering of the decree, of the divide between higher and lower heaven and earth. Until Matan there was a separation between Elyanim, the higher worlds, and Tachtenim, the lower worlds. And when the Abish gave us the Tera, he shattered, he broke that divide. And he said, Elyanim, Yedu, Tachtenim, the higher ones can descend below. And Tachtenim, Yal, Elyanim, the ones who below can ascend upwards. And then of course it says, Vaniya Mascha, like it says in the post of Yedu, the Shem Ahar Sinai. So Matan wasn't only giving us the Tera, it was the violation of order. The order says there's higher worlds and there's lower worlds. And they're separate. Matan affects that the lowest world can have the Torah on the highest level um, without any constraints, without any issues. So the Rebbe says, Har Sinai was not only about giving us the Torah, but violating the divide, the separation between heaven and earth, so that what's on heaven can be fused with earth. It requires breaking the parameters, the fences, the categories, and the form, the limitation, the alien canal of higher worlds and lower worlds. For God to give us this Torah, and for us to receive this Torah, which shatters the separations between heaven and earth, between higher and lower, it was necessary for the Mesiris Nefesh to be present. Because Mesiris Nefesh is breaking one's own limitations, and the breaking of one's own limitations set up the breaking of the limitations of the order of creation that separate heaven from earth. That's it. Therefore, although we got the Tater Har Sinek with an incredible tumult, but it's only a beginning. It's not complete, it's not culminated until Purim. When we accepted the Tater a second time through great Mesiras Nefesh, now we completely break the barrier between heaven and earth and allow the highest heights of heaven to fuse with the lowest levels of earth and you have the Tater Bishleimus. So this is the answer to the question. It's not enough that the Jewish people recommit themselves to the Tater in the times of Golas, there needs to be Mesiras Nefesh. But the Rebbe now speaks three levels of Mesiras Nefesh. Okay? The first level of Mesiras Nefesh is called Mesiras Nefesh Bekoyach. Mesiras Nefesh in readiness. I'm prepared for Mesiras Nefesh. Mesiras Nefesh B'Koyach is only in the Neshama. And the Rebbe is going to tell us that that's what happened by Har Sinai. When the Jewish people said Nasav and Ishmael, it was also a form of Mesiras Nefesh. But it's, quote, Mesiras Nefesh B'Koyach. They potentially sacrificed their Neshama to HaKadosh Baruch. The second level is Mesiras Nefesh B'Pail. Actual Mesiras Nefesh. But the second level is Mesiras Nefesh B'Pail that happened in the Hanukkah story. What happened in the Hanukkah story? The Jewish soul was attacked. 
and the response of the Jewish soul to the attack made against it in terms of changing their names and so on and so forth was Mesiras Nefesh. This is called Mesiras Nefesh, repel, actually sacrificing their lives as they did during that struggle. But it's, since it's based on the violation of Teir and Mitzvah, it's called Mesiras Nefesh, repel, the Neshama is interested in this sacrifice. Although when the Neshama is sacrificed, the body is sacrificed as well, but it's considered a calculated act of sacrifice. And the third level is Mesiras Nefesh, repel, associated with Purim. Total self-sacrifice, but total self-sacrifice, which is giving away the body, not the nisham. That although, as you'll see inside, by Purim there was a very real and a very significant spiritual aspect. Hamun was interested in killing not Jews, but from Jews, not Ibnim, but Yehudim. <coughs> but anybody who was identified as a Yehudi, he hated not what he did or what he learned and what he believed, but his very body. And the Rebbe is going to argue this is Mesiras Nefesh, but pale on a level which is going to call Hefker. There's no consideration. And the point that Rebbe is going to make is that to accept the Teda completely, which is to totally break and shatter the separation between heaven and earth, it's not enough Mesiras Nefesh, but Kayach. It's not even enough Mesiras Nefesh, but pale, as happened in the Hanukkah stories, which was not on Hashama. You have to have Mesiras Nefesh, but pale. And the Purim story, which is a reckless, a Hefker, because Haman wanted to kill our Gufis. So read it inside. Va'af, and even though, Shigam b'shas matan teri, even when the teri was given, kishom runasav and nishman, the Jewish people said, we will do first, and then we will understand. They accepted, do whatever they would be told. Gam b'im yit sarach lim, sen nafsham alzeh, even if it would be a necessity for self-sacrifice. They were prepared for it. So why do you have to have Purim? And the Messiah is nefesh of Purim, to complete the gift and the receipt of the Torah, based on the need to break the divide between heaven and earth, which has to be a power of Ein Saf, why wasn't the Nasa Venishma of Shuas alone sufficient? And the answer is, because Gam be'im yitzarech l'mesiris nefesh alzeh, even if there's a possibility of mesiris nefesh harei, kol zman shah mesiris nefesh yibakeach, any time the Mesiris Nefesh remains only potential, which means you're not actually having a risk to your life. And you don't have to take it. So the Mesiris Nefesh only potential translates to Rebu Mitzad Neshama. It's only from the Neshama of Eine Baguf. It's not in the body. So although by the story of Shvuas, of Matan Teldu, was an act of Mesiris Nefesh, but it was the spirit of the Jew being sacrificed to the spirit of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, based on the logical attachedness between these two spirits. The body was dragged along, but it's a reasonable Mesiris Nefesh. Next paragraph, but then you have a second level. The Mesiris Nefesh of Hanukkah, which is also an union of Mesiris Nefesh, and it's also an union of Mesiris Nefesh, but Poyal, not only Bakayach, but even Hanukkah had a certain limitation, because since the attack was against the Neshama, it's reasonable to be Mesiris Nefesh. Next paragraph, please. Says the Rebbe Valpiza Yuvan Gam Hamayla, the Mesiris Nefesh, the Pudim, Allah Mesiris Nefesh, the Hanukkah. That it's not enough that the Mesiris Nefesh Bekoyach of Matan is not sufficient. But you have to have Mesiris Nefesh Bepeil, where people are accurately sacrificing their lives. But then in Mesiris Nefesh Bepeil itself, there's two levels. One level is the Mesiris Nefesh Bepeil of Hanukkah, where the gays away their lives for Yiddishkeit. And the other level is the Mesiris Nefesh of Purim, whereas you'll see momentarily they gave away their lives in a level of Hefkin. It's possible that there should be actual sacrifice of life and limb, not to become separate from a Kaddish Baruchu, but he that's primarily connected to the soul. The sacrifice of the soul affects the body and the animal soul as well. So the Rebbe says three lines from the bottom. Vizui. And once we understand that even when a person is Mesa Nefesh actually giving away his life, it's possible that the Mesiris Nefesh of actual sacrifice is connected to the Nishama and not to the Gov. Zui Hamaila the Mesiris Nefesh, the Purim Allah Mesiris Nefesh the Hanukkah. It explains the superiority of the Mesiris Nefesh during the Purim story over the Mesiris Nefesh during the Hanukkah story. And he explains, During the Purim story, what was broken and reduced to insignificance was was the body itself. Their lives were hefker, 
were made, they were called fair game, as the expression is, they had no value. L'chomish, yitz, anybody who wanted. There was no way naturally for them to be spared from this condition because they were sacrificed. They have no, their life has no value. Now, how was that? Because Haman hated Jews and he wanted to kill them. Haman's hatred for Jews is oftentimes compared to Hitler Maximus' hatred for Jews that he killed them indiscriminately. He didn't kill righteous or pious or holy. He killed them all. But the problem is that the same Alter Rebbe is the one who says, It's the Alter Rebbe who was the one who says that the Messias Nefesh of the Purim story was not for all Jews. Haman was not interested in call, killing all descendants of Ram Yitzhak and Yankiv. The traditional name for the Jewish people is Hebrew, is Ivri. Haman wasn't killing Ivri, he was killing only Yehudim. And the Gemara says, Who Yehudim are? <coughs> They're people who are made by. A kefir ba'avedizara, they deny idol worship, and therefore made the b'chalatayra kula. And although this is such a radical insight, but it's it's the pashat the pshat and the psukim based on the Gemara. The Jewish people took a new title for themselves. They were always known as Ivrim. All of a sudden, they changed their name to Yehudi. By no means all. Many of the Jews continued to be Ivrim, very comfortably assimilated in the Babylonian exile. And those who were steadfast, those who were dedicated without any limits to the will of HaKadosh Baruch who took a new title for themselves, Yehudi. And by no means does Yehudi mean that they come from the tribe of Yehuda, from the Shevet Yehuda. For Haraya, the most famous Yehudi of all was Mardechai, from Shevet Binyamin. So the Gemara says the word Yehudi means Mesiris Nefesh, Kefir Ba'avedazor, denying idol worship, which was widespread at the time. And then the Rebbe always adds, Obederach Mamela, made the Bakalatei Rekula. So what do you mean that the Jewish people's lives were hefkir from the perspective of the body? It isn't true. It was only the religious, the pious, the righteous who Haman wanted to kill. And of course, part of the story, according to this incredible thought from the Teda Eir, is that any Jew could have saved his life by becoming an Ivri. Assimilate, become like everybody else. And what's remarkable about the Purim story was that for an entire 11 months, from Yud Gimel Nisan when the documents were written, until Yud Gimel Adar when the decree was overturned and carried out in the favor of the Jewish people, they didn't know if they would live or die. And they also, they didn't cross their mind to cross over to the other side, Rahman al-Islam. So there was incredible Mesidus Nefesh on the part of the Jewish people, and it was religious. Says the Rebbe, Mikomakam, nevertheless, Mikivan Shagazera. The decree, in fact, was. Loy al not for the fulfillment of Tero Mitzvahs, El it was their body. It's true. Homo was killing the Jews he couldn't stand, which were the religious Jews. But once they were identified as religious Jews, he wasn't killing them because of their religion. He was killing them because they existed. He couldn't stand their existence. And he was not after their faith. In other words, he had no interest in reforming them, in secularizing them. You're religious, he wants to kill you. So the Rebbe says, though it's true that Haman was singling out a group of Jewish people who were identified as Jews, as Yehudim, because of their dedication to Tehid and Mitzvahs, but once he identified them, he was interested in killing them under all conditions, to wipe them out. In other words, not only the Jewish soul was broken, the Jewish body was broken. And he qualifies it. When an anti-Semite, when a guy, when a Russia makes the degree against Yiddishkeit, for example, I'm sorry, Antiochus was not interested in killing Jews. He was interested in reforming them. He was interested in Hellenizing them. He was interesting, interested in secularizing them. The decree was not to take their lives. To the contrary, they should live in the spirit of Yavan. That they should go away from Yiddishkeit. And most importantly, that it comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in order to secure this, he said that if you don't follow the decrees of assimilation and secularization, if they continue and insist on keeping Yiddishkeit, they're going to be killed. So says the Rebbe, although in the story of Hanukkah there was Eino Mesiris Nefesh, but 
the body was not sacrificed recklessly, without any logic. The body was a victim of what was being done to the neshama. The neshama is the reasonable part of the person. The body is just the flesh and blood. And the Hanukkah story, Antiochus was after the neshama. <coughs> if you give him the neshama, then you can live. You don't give him the neshama, he'll kill your goof. But it was because of the neshama that he will kill the goof. So it's considered, Mesiris Nefesh Bepoil with a calculation, with a limitation. In the Purim story, the whole issue was to destroy. That although he was interested in killing Yehudim, but once he identified Yehudim, it was not his religion he was after, it was his body he was after. El, it is only he could have saved himself. To become an Ivri, to go away from Yehudim. But since the decree to kill him, it's not because he doesn't want to deny godliness. It's because his body was directly threatened. The body as such, as the body was kehefken. It was totally sacrificed. And therefore the Rebbe says, you have three concepts of Mesiris Nefesh. By Matan Teir, the Jewish people said, Nasa Venishmu is also Mesiris Nefesh. It's called Mesiris Nefesh B'Koyach. A readiness of Mesiris Nefesh. That's only in the Nishama. It has not trickled down to the body until it will be actualized. Then you have the Mesiris Nefesh of Hanukkah, which is also Mesir, which is called Mesiris Nefesh Bepoil, actual Mesiris Nefesh. But it was the actualization of that readiness. Then comes Purim. And Purim is Mesiris Nefesh Bepoil from the perspective of the Guf. Vezehu, which explains, Mashaidei, Ya Mesiris Nefesh de Purim Dafke, the sacrifice of Purim. That's when the Yidin could be given and receive the Torah totally. Torah totally. Why? Because the Torah is about breaking all limitations. That the heavens and the earth should fuse. And there should be no conflict between the limitations of the earth and the spirituality of the heavens and the infinity of godliness. They should all become one. In order for this to be facilitated, there had to be, from the part of the Jewish people, a sacrifice. The sacrifice was not whole until the Purim story. But in the Purim story, there was a bittle. And it was It was a bittle from the perspective of the body. They were then qualified to the revelations of the Torah. Both from the perspective of their souls. As well as from the perspective of their bodies. And the Maimed will explain in the part that we did not learn yet that there's going to be three levels in Yiddishkeit. The first level of Yiddishkeit is the body, the second level of Yiddishkeit is the soul, and the third level of Yiddishkeit is the Eibishter himself. And the argument is that it's the Eibishter who has the ability to break the separation between the body and the soul and fuse them. And if the Mesiris Nefesh is only from the perspective of the Neshama and the body is being dragged along, then the body is not being made a vessel for the revelations of the Torah. As supposed to, in the Purim story, that since the bodies were meant to be broken, so the brokenness of the body makes the body level of Torah and the Neshama level of Torah broken, and therefore their limitations are removed and they can be fused, and the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu could be introduced. And then he adds... That the previous Rebbe points out that during the Purim story, the Jewish people were in a low level spiritually and also physically. Which explains why that by when the Teda was given, they were not vessels for the Bittal Gzeda properly. When the story of Hanukkah happened, they were not vessels for the gili of the Bittal Agzeda properly. And when the Purim story occurred, they were ready for the gili of the Bittal Agzeda properly because this was the first time that the Mesidus Nefesh was made said the body also. The body was being sacrificed, the soul was being sacrificed, and as a result they can become one and be kalim to receive the Torah without any limitations. But here's the deal. What I just described and what we read in this Sif Yud, and we read almost every single word, is... Sacrifice. The soul is sacrificed, the body is sacrificed, and the sacrifice of the body and the sacrifice of the soul makes it qualified for a person to be able to receive the infinity of the Torah. It's a small problem. If the story of Purim qualifies the Jewish people for total sacrifice, 
sacrifice in the body and the sacrifice in the soul so they can receive the Torah without any limitations, if they sacrifice, who's going to learn the Torah? The one who's supposed to learn it doesn't exist anymore. And now the Rebbe spins it the other way. It was discussed earlier in the Mayan when you're joining the heaven and the earth, which means the body and the soul. There's three things. The one above, which is the Nishama. Hatach, the one below, which is the body, and their bit. Move on, another thing has to also be pointed out. In order for the completion and for the wholeness, perfection, and peacefulness of the receiving of the Teda to take place, breaking the Nishama, breaking the Guf is not the whole story. Because if you break the Nishama, break the Guf, there's nobody to learn the Teda. The other side of this coin is that the Jews have to exist. Moreover, as under the highest level of wholeness, and as they exist as a self-contained entity, should be tied and unified with the Teda to such an extent as represented by their total bit. So the Rebbe now spins it the other way. And he says, we just spent so much time and so many lines underscoring the total bittle of the Nisham and the Guf on a level of Mesiris Nefesh as the prerequisite to completely receiving the Torah. But the other side of the coin is you have to have a person who learns the Torah in his own mind and understands. In other words, you don't want to break the body, you want the body to exist, even though it's totally bottle. You want the Nisham to exist, even though it's totally bottle. How does that happen? How does the Purim story represent the complete and total and end of the event of giving the Tate and us receiving it, the total violation of any limitations that infinity and the body can join together because of the Mesiris Nefesh, the Jewish people had during the Purim story and the fact that they're being sacrificed. And the Rebbe gives a very, very interesting answer. And we're going to move to six lines from the Yad Abadam, but the paragraph, the last line, V'yesh Leim, but I want to add, the answer is, as the previous Rebbe says in the Maimir, the Jewish people made sacrifices. And in making sacrifices, they were in effect giving themselves away. And they no longer exist. But it was motivated by Mardechai Atzadeh. And who was Mardechai? <coughs> Pardon me, Moshe Shabbat the Moshe of his generation. It says the Rebbe, all of us understand that the learning of the Tate of Mordechai was on the highest levels. And what does Mordechai bring to the table? Mordechai brings to the table that martyrdom doesn't mean you don't exist. Martyrdom means your existence is a vessel for godliness. Since our sacrifice didn't happen on our own. It happened through the intervention. It happened through the intercession. It happened through the, through the intermediacy of, of Mordechai. Skip the bracket. Himshech Bahem. Mordechai gave a new dimension to this Mesidus Nefesh. That not only did it inspire your Leirakin in a bittle, total bittle, and sacrifice of soul and body on a level of Hefker, Elogam, but as well another idea, the level of learning Torah which is not about the destruction of the person, the breaking down of the human identity, but as it's connected to the perfection and wholeness of the person. In other words, a Jew by himself can have Mesiris Nefesh. And there's three levels of that. Mesiris Nefesh B'Koyach, Mesiris Nefesh But you can't exist and not exist at the same time. But Mordechai gives that to us. Mordechai is not bottled to Hashem, he's representative of Hashem. And his form is a representation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So he gives the Jewish people the ability that this incredible bittle that we described and put in, which is greater than Hanukkah, and greater than Matan Teira, has another dimension. That it doesn't mean my body is nothing, and my soul is nothing, it means my body is nothing by itself. My soul is nothing by itself. But through the help of Meshach Rabbeinu, and the Teira which I am learning, it becomes a Matthias, who studies Teda earlier in the Maimir, the Rebbe has a very, very interesting expression where the Rebbe describes the insignificance, the nothingness of the human body. And he says, if you look 
on page Ayin Beis, which is the end of Sif Hei, the end of chapter 5 in the Maimir, the Rebbe is discussing the highest levels of learning Teireh, which involve incredible sacrifice. And if you look five lines from the end, right next to the 53 in the text, it says, L'chein, compared to this level, skip the parenthesis, Ein ha'adam teifas makam, the person's identity has no value. The bit, the head of teifas makam, the bitl of insignificance is bitl b'metzias. And when a Jew is relating to the Tate on the level described here, which we'll see in the next class, which is level of Ratzni, doesn't exist. Moreover, then comes along God and He gives the Jew a commandment to learn Tehidah. By Hashem giving a Yidim a, a, a commandment to learn the Tehidah, He makes him into a Metzias. The Jew by himself is learning the Tehidah, and the Tehidah says the Jew is nothing. But because he was commanded by Hashem, Hashem makes this Jew who is nothing in his utter bittel to be a Metzias in his learning Tehidah. Still says the Rebbe, Kol Metzius, he has no reality other than that he's fulfilling the commandment. This is a very similar idea. You become so bottle in the Tehidah, there's no you. But because the Tehidah wants you to become so bottle in the Tehidah, the Tehidah gives you a you. And it gives you a you only in as much as learning Tehidah is concerned. This is a similar idea here where we're holding now at the bottom of page I involve the first paragraph of Sif Yid Aleph. Yidin by themselves can sacrifice. Moshe can affect that the sacrifice should be a living sacrifice. They should exist. If you will, it's a fourth level of Bittl. Total sacrifice to the degree of Hefke, Mitzad HaNeshama, Mitzad HaGuf, and yet you remain in Mitzias who learns Tehidah with the Kehich of Meshad HaBed. And then the Rebbe goes deeper. Next page, continue. When we say that Moshe adds another dimension to the Messiahist, never should the Jewish people, that in addition to the complete sacrifice, they need to exist to be students of the Tehidah and fulfill the Abish's wishes. We add another idea. The point brought in the children. And of course the question is, why gather little kids? And why did the Chazal make such a big deal about the little children learning the irrelevant halachas of Kmitzah and so forth? And the Teret says, and this you talk have in the Maimon of Yipezayim. This advantage of the story of Teret as it's done by children. Says the which is not about the destruction and the non-existence of the soul and the body, but rather the absolute existence and the perfection and wholeness of the Nesham and the Guf. Where do you see a Yid learn Teirah? And on the one hand, he's totally sacrificed to Agadosh Baruch Hu. And the other hand, is Metzias, says the Rebbe, it's for little children. The world does not exist only because children learn Teirah. And of course, the question is asked, Oh, Papa Labaya, the Papa says to Abaya, the Divid Dachmai. Only when children learn Tayra, they keep the world going. What about us? The Tanoim and Amiroyim. Oh, Malay, Sabaya says, No, ours doesn't work. Why not? You cannot compare the wind, the air that comes forth from a child who has never sinned, whose Tayra is so special and so pure, it sustains the whole world. As opposed to ours, we may be on the highest levels, but yesh be'echet. Dagam shalim with the teira shal papa v'abaya. There's no question that a papa is teira and abaya is teira. Hoya bevade was certainly lishma on the level of lishma, which we'll see in the next year by riches. B'dargis achinas na highest madriges. While the lim with that teira, the teneke shal be'srab when a child is learning, it's mitzad yiraseratzua. He's simply afraid of being punished. Still, yes, Yisrein, there is something distinctly advantageous. The tail of a little child. Because of the wind of the little children, the world exists. Meaning to say, not that the world is nothing compared to the Ebishter, which can be done by the adults, but that the world does exist. This is done by the children. And the Rebbe goes on to say, but the reason is, what makes the Tayran Yiddishkeit of children superior, who are not Matzav of to the Tayran Yiddishkeit of adult is two things. Hein mitzad neshmasim, their soul is greater. And he says something very wonderful. She crave yesal the soul of a child is closer to godliness. They just recently came from Ghanaian. Children came here recently, more recently, so they're closer to the truth. 
And the aim, it's on the goof shalem, it's also true from their bodies. Shalem is gashem kol kach, ba'achila shtiyah b'tayv. They haven't eaten that much, they haven't drunk that much, and they have not indulged in pleasures and weaknesses so much. So children have an advantage in their body and in their soul. This is the explanation. When the previous Rebbe adds, it wasn't only that Yidin were raised from a Siddhas Nefesh, that they learned Tehid and Mordechai learned Tehid, but they learned it with children. It's to explain because when they learned Tehid then, it was the adults in their Siddhas Nefesh are giving their bodies away. They're giving their souls away. The children, when they're learning Tehidah, it's mitad ha-shleim as Their body is a vessel for Tehidah. Their soul is a vessel for Tehidah because there's no contradiction to Yiddishkeit because they're pure and fine. So the previous Rebbe, in his Maim, says three things. Number one, in the Purim story, Yidin had Mesiris Nefesh bepoyel mitad which is Hefkeh. Number two, this was motivated by Meshe Rabbeinu. And number three, it begins with Meshe Rabbeinu involved with children. Meisha Rabbeinu makes it so that the body should be b'shleimus and not not exist. And the children represented that factually. Their learning taita was not the destruction of their mitzvahs, it was the reality of their mitzvahs. Elisha Mailas, Hanishama, the Teneki Shalbeisrab. When you say that the sh- a child's Nishama is superior, and as well, and some to his goof. It's not about them learning Teda. They're actually learning out of fear. I'm skipping half a line. Which is what the previous Rebbe adds. This is a combination. The children represent living as a Jew rather than dying as a Jew. The sacrificial element is because Mordechai motivated. It was considered Mesiris Nefesh because it was motivated. So it's a little bit complicated. Purim is Mesiris Nefesh, Bepeil with Hefker. Mordechai brings about that it shouldn't result only in dying but in living. It's represented mostly in the children. But because children may have not ideal motivations, there's a combination. The aspect that makes our body and soul exist in sacrifice is the children. But the this aspect that makes it sacrifice is that the children are motivated by Mordechai. And then the Rebbe finishes. I want to add something else. My Mordechai gathering these children together. And the taste of Etzlechah. Mordechai benefits. The should be Mordechai as well. As great as Mordechai is. And Mordechai is not only motivating the highest levels of Mesiris Nefesh, but is motivating on the level where you exist rather than die. Shlemus Ha'adam. When he motivates the children to represent this, he gains this advantage. So in short, there's a Mesiris Nefesh of Matanteda, the Mesiris Nefesh of Hanukkah, and the Mesiris Nefesh of Purim as three aspects. The Mesiris Nefesh of the adults, what Mordechai adds to it, and what Mordechai is able to enhance it further by his involvement with the children. And the point of this is, this is Teda. When the Abish gave us the Teda, the point of the Teda is to bring the Ein Sof, the infinity of godliness into this world, that they should become one, as represented not only by the Jewish soul's form, body, Metzias, but by the Jewish body's Metzias, and it must involve total sacrifice to break all barriers. And it must involve existing to be the person learning Torah. And put him as the perfect occasion to accomplish all of these things. And then the Rebbe connects it to Adelayada. We all know that Purim is associated with going beyond any limitations. You're supposed to go beyond your mind. And technically, halakhically, you do it through mashka, through wine. Spiritually, it means that you have to raise yourself above your seichel. Each year when Purim comes, we revisit the idea of the Jewish people completing the event of the giving and receiving of the Teda, as it was by Purim, as it was the first time, and of course the Rebbe adds, it's even higher. So when Purim comes, the date reflects 
Mesidus Nefesh Bepeil of the Guf on the level of Hefker. And yet we remain in Metzius, the Ha'adam is inspired by Mordechai. And the individuals who represent the Shlemus Metzius Ha'adam is the little children who Mordechai motivates. And Mordechai himself gets the mile of Hevel Shein Bechet through this motivation. Every year this happens again. And I want to add, when we say that Purim completes Matan Teira, in all of the aspects listed above, it's Bishnei and Yonim, two things. Number one, four lines from the bottom of page Ayin Zayin. Whatever we started at Shvuas was finished and Purim. The everlastingness of the Teira is associated with Purim. And the Rebbe interprets this to mean that it's ours forever. So there's two aspects. One is that it's ours in a way that it's totally ours and we have no excuses. And number two, it's totally ours in Eifin Nitzchi. It's totally ours in a way that's forever. He brings the Posseg by the Megillah on top of page Ein Ches, Vezichram, Yosef, Vizadam. So these are two separate points. So put him makes the Teda hours in a real way and also in a permanent way. And therefore the Rebbe says, V'lachain, four lines on the top of Ajayin Ches, V'purim tzadach liyas ha'avedah d'loyod. Purim have to go out of your mind. And the Rebbe says, Yiddish arayizke fazir. Go past yourself. Ki ashleim is the Kabbalah sa'teda. To receive the Teda wholly and completely. On the one hand, there's total bittel, and on the other hand, there's total metzias. You are learning Teda. You are understanding Teda. And in that learning and understanding, you totally sacrifice to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's Aideya Bittel, which is through Bittel. And Bittel will you also remain a metzias to HaAdam. V'zehu gam, shayetziyem mimetziyusay, adalayada tzricha liyis aideya levesume biyayin gashmi. You have to go out of your mind, and you have to do it through physical wine. You can't just do it through meditation, you do it through physical wine, because the bitl of Purim has to be from the perspective of the body. So Purim involves sacrifice, and therefore the avoid of Purim is Adaliyah, to go past your mind. But, next paragraph, Lapi Mashin is by a little, but we also explained. The learns Teda. On the one hand, we're saying he's Bittal. But on the other hand, you remain a person learning Teda. Yeshleimu just adds another detail. The idea that a person on Purim goes beyond his mind. The going out of your mind is brought into your mind as he brings the Sicha from the previous Rebbe, when the previous Rebbe says that the Adalayada contributes to the Yada. In other words, going out of your mind means you no longer ha- doesn't mean you no longer have a mind, but you're going out of your mind to completely transform what your mind is. And these two points, the going out of your mind and bringing that going out of your mind into your mind, is the same two points of total bitl mitzad anashama, mitzad aguf on the one hand, and being mitzad ashleim as the ha'adam on the other. This is this Maimir. In other words, we learned the end of the Maimed. I gave you an introduction, we learned the end of the Maimed. But this is the essence of the Maimed. This is a Purim Maimed that doesn't talk about the Purim story. It talks about the Torah. God gave us the Torah, and we have to take the Torah. God's giving it to us, and us being able to receive us is the fusion of the most extreme opposites. Infinity, infinity, where on the one hand, there's such a fusion between the finity and the infinity that there's a total erasure of what is finite and on the other hand the finite remains to be the student of this Torah this complex combination couldn't happen until Purim through Merdechai and the little children and on a yearly basis it's how the Adalayada is brought into Yad and Mr. Hashem next week we're going to learn the scholarship of the Maimed the build up of the Maimed the three levels of mitzvahs and of doing mitzvahs, the three levels of learning Teidah and of Teidah itself and three levels of learning Halacha and then after all those things, that was going to bring us a higher another day.
This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.